to Pat Purdue's Customer Experience Podcast. Delivering great customer experience every time is really, really hard. If it was easy, more companies would be doing it. We all know that ain't happening. That's exactly where this show comes in. Every episode, we take a close look at companies who are getting customer experience right. Whether it's over the phone, over technology such as social media or apps on your smartphone, or in person, there are some companies who are just really good at this. This show looks at what they're doing differently to make their customers love them and introduces us to the people whose job it is to make great customer experience happen. So if delivering exceptional customer experience is part of your business, this is the podcast for you. I'm Pat Perdue, and I'm glad you found us. Welcome, one and all. So glad you could join us today. I have a great show for you that I'm really excited to share. Okay, here's the thing. Simply that you're listening right now means that you understand why it's important for your team, your department, or your company to deliver great customer experience. What can be tricky is convincing your senior leadership or even your board of directors that customer experience is worth investing in and is good for your bottom line. Fact is, it's very good for your bottom line, and our guest today has the proof. Stephen Hahn Griffiths is the Chief Reputation Officer for the Reputation Institute and plays an active role in spearheading the reputation consulting and custom measurement needs of their major clients. Stephen was previously a partner and co-owner at Protobrand, a boutique insights and strategy consultancy in Boston. Prior to that, he was chief strategy officer at leading multinational ad agencies including Leo Burnett, Mullen, and Saatchi and & Saatchi. He is often cited as a reputation expert and has been featured in leading business media such as Forbes, Wall Street Journal, CNBC, NPR, Bloomberg, and this very podcast. Stephen knows reputation. For those who are not familiar, the Reputation Institute is, plain and simple, the world's leading reputation research-based consulting and advisory firm, measuring more than 7,000 companies per year across 55 countries in 20 different industries. They help organizations answer key questions. What is my reputation and how does it compare? How can I improve and protect my reputation? And what is the business impact of better managing my reputation? As we will learn... A significant driver of that reputation is customer experience. Companies like Disney, Amazon, Netflix all come to mind as building amazing reputations based on their ability to provide consistently outstanding customer experiences. We'll find out why they rank so highly. And Stephen also shares some as yet unpublished breaking news about who is the number one ranked company in customer experience in the world. It may surprise you and then you'll be like, oh, of course. <laughs> we started our conversation with the big question. Can we, in fact, draw a direct line between customer experience, reputation, and the organization's overall business performance? Here's the Reputation Institute's Stephen Hahn Griffiths. Yes, it's very possible. In fact, it's one of the things that we've studied very carefully in, in the past uh, several years. And uh, we survey, as you know, thousands of companies around the world and one of the things we measure is what we call the global retrap 100. So we're looking at the, the trends across the G15 economies, not just in terms of reputation, but more specifically, how that aligns with companies' uh, potential to deliver on a great customer experience. And, and the way we, we've identified that is really based on, on a couple of key metrics. So we look at 
seven dimensions of reputation that define any company. Those are inclusive of the perceptions of products and services and innovation, workplace governance, citizenship, leadership, and financial performance. And when you actually look at the dissection of those seven dimensions, there's two in particular that define how we should think about the sort of customer experience universally. Number one, of course, the product service delivery experience. So was it consistent? Was it great quality? Was it of superior value? Did I derive a meaningful benefit? And the second part is perceptions of innovation. You know, did it truly reward me and enable me in, in a truly fulfilling and satisfying way, not just through the wow of technology, but more in terms of the personalization of that experience and how it helped me define a positive experience. So those two things together, just to be clear, represent 34.7% of the weight of reputation of any given company. So we've got to really take that data very seriously and drawing that link between reputation and customer experience, we can now begin to understand what a business can do to be more successful. Amazing. Thank you very much. And I'm just digesting that massive, massive statement. Can you walk us through a little bit of your methodology? How can you be comfortable or confident in your understanding of an organization's customer experience metric? Sure. So the data we present is not our opinion. It's based on the opinion of the stakeholders who matter, which typically is the general public. So we've surveyed in uh, 2018 over 230,000 individuals uh, across 15 countries. So pretty. pretty so you're busy. Uh, yeah, busy, busy. Opinions <laughs> <laughs> from around the world, and so we present data on on a couple of levels. First off, uh, we have a 95% confidence in the data we present, uh, which statistically is as good as you can get. But secondly, in the way that we kind of deconstruct the relationships that exist, we look at both sort of statistical regression-like analysis as well as causal links between the effect of an experience and how that impacts reputation. So we look at a thing called the R-squared, and without getting too geeky, we have an R-squared that's pretty close to a 0.75, which in terms of those geniuses that are out there that understand statistics will probably applaud and say, that's a truly robust measurement, so you can present this data with, with a high degree of confidence. What are some key areas that you find that organizations either excel in or, quite frankly, drop the ball in that has the most impact on their, on their customer experience delivery? Sure, that's, that's a great question. And really, the first part of the answer to that is, is what is it worth, right? What, what is a great customer experience worth? Because it does take time and energy and money and resources to deliver on a truly world-class customer experience. So the first thing we've noted is relative to the companies who deliver on what we call the CS index. The CX index meaning a way of measuring customer experience that directly correlates with reputation. And first off, of the top 10 companies we've identified, and, and you've noted a couple, such as Amazon and Netflix, but also companies like Google and Intel and Nike and Walt Disney fall into that, they outperform other companies by at least 3.5 pulse points as a measure of reputation. If I told you that one pulse point translates to about a billion dollars in market cap, <laughs> that's one, one thing to take very seriously. Secondly, they get an incremental lift in terms of sales. So specifically, a, about a three and a half point in change increase in pulse score translates to about a net increase of about 4.4% of comp sales. So, so now we're talking, right, in terms of the ability to uh, understand the true value. The second part and the answer to your question really kind of go, goes into the details of, of how we define 
the aspects of customer experience. So specifically, the single strongest measure of customer experience is in the derived quality of the experience. There's always a lot of conversation around value and, and uh, the massification of an experience. But in today's world, it would seem that the general public more highly appreciate quality over quantity, which is actually a significant shift in the mindset of, of global societies today. So if we look at the aspects of what does it mean to deliver a high-quality experience, certainly there's an element of personalization. Of course, everyone wants a service that's version to me and my life. Sure. And, and companies that can better do that, and you think about how, for example, Amazon personalizes experience and uses Alexa services to allow you to sort of almost self-tailor those experiences. Or think about how companies like Netflix offer up preferences and versioning of, of content streams that make it easier for you to find more of the stuff that you want, even to the point where it's brash enough to use artificial intelligence to create recommendations. Those are the significant trends in, in a great customer service experience. Got it. And whether that's companies that have reside in Canada, the US, the UK, Germany, France, Spain, Italy, and beyond, that's a single fundamental trend. In, in being disruptive today, it's more about tailing the experience to me and my life, and not just about the value and the price component, but as much about the quality and experience that truly fits what I'm looking for as an individual. What in your research or in your experience are the significant contributors to an organization's ability to do exactly what you've stated in terms of tailoring the experience to the absolute, on the absolute individual level of that user or the person who's encountering the brand? Well, I think if you look at all service-driven, customer experience-driven companies, they've gone from being reactive to proactive. Um, and whether it's uh, things that, for example, are empowered by a presence of augmented reality, or whether that's using algorithms that use big data that mine your buying and purchasing habits and now reframe that on better anticipating what you think you might need in the future is right. tricky. And getting it right. And getting it right is really where the pendulum has swung. I mean, think about that. We, we used to spend life looking in the rearview mirror. So, so how do we do and what was it like last time around? So based on that, let me make uh, suggestions on, on the future. Well, it's, it's, it's beyond the uh, behavioral rationalization. It's now getting into predictive analytics and your ability to now scale and version that experience so it becomes more seamless, more efficient, more exciting, more um, appreciated of, of a higher desired quality, but it's using and mining those, those data points that now anticipate what you do. And it's not just using your individual data stream. If you think about how you can connect the dots, especially as part of a integrated online, offline experience, I can take insights from other parts of your life by understanding <laughs> who you are and making suggestions about what you want before you even know yourself. Sure. So think about that kind of world where we are in this era of predictive analytics, this era where machine learning and artificial intelligence can actually get us ahead of our, our individual selves. And companies that know how to mine that, companies who know how to employ technology 
in relevant and meaningful ways are the ones that are going to be ahead of the game leaps and bounds. Nice. And not to put you on the spot, can you name some organizations that in your research or in your experience are absolutely leading the charge in what you've just defined? You've named a couple, Netflix, Amazon, any sure. others that might be less known but are just absolutely bleeding edge? Well, how about we give you a bit of breaking news, right? We're going to give you the customer experience leader in the world today. Um, this has never been publicly solid, so you're going to be the first to know, Pat. Uh, awesome. The Thank you. I'm honored. <laughs> the answer to the question is Google. Um, Google. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. think about Google as an experience. Um, in all the conversations we, we started to have around the role of employing personalization and the role of employing technology and already creating preferences and suggestions, Google with the highest degree of respect to your data privacy um, is, is in a really sweet spot in its ability to integrate your daily life with your potential to have a more positive experience. Not just based on the things that you choose to buy, but more importantly in terms of the, the way you choose to live your life and experiences that you crave, whether that's how you choose to drive your car, whether that's how you choose to book your vacations, whether that's related to your next job, and what you aspire to do in life or education or anything that th that exists in terms of a measurable form you know google has the highest customer experience score in the world it actually comes one tenth of a percentage point below the realm of an excellent customer experience and and there's no other company that really even statistically comes close uh, Amazon would, would be uh, in second place in the rankings and companies like Samsung, Netflix, Intel, Nike, Walt Disney, I can keep going, are certainly in, in the higher echelons of customer experience. But you'd have to say, if you were to crown the king of customer experience today, you probably have a coronation for Google. as, as the Not a huge bank. surprise, but also kind of a surprise. Because when we think of customer experience, we often think of encounters. I get a letter, the letter speaks to me, I go online, I encounter the, maybe it's a financial institution or something like that. I might contact them via their contact center, I might tweet at them, and the overall consistency of that creates the notion of my overall experience with the brand. Google, I would suggest, is so seamless that we don't even know that a brilliant experience is being architected and served to us. No, we, we, we don't know, and that is the beauty of, of experience. I mean, Google is the quintessential life enabler, if you think about it, especially if you're using multi-screens and it's integrated through a Google Chrome experience. Um, you know, it really is a, an organization that, with respect, is, is learning how to please you. You could certainly take that conversation into another dark place around data privacy and, and how much information... Google could and should have access to. That's a different podcast. It is a different <laughs> podcast. But essentially, it's a high-value, high-touch experience. Think about how many hours a day do you spend with Google? Probably more than any other brand, right? I don't even want to think about that. You know, with, with between email, between um, wireless devices, uh, between searching for directions, between I don't even, it's, it's ubiquitous. And it's always on, it's 24-7, it never complains. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it gives you the answers to the things that you don't know. So, you know, it's, it's funny, you, you, you have a dinner party and there's a debate over a factoid. Who do you ask? We Google it. Google, right, exactly. You know, it's amazing how absolutely ubiquitous and pervasive 
Google has gotten in our culture. It is an incredible customer experience and, and one that over 20 years has just gotten better and better for everybody. Amazing. And for those organizations that aren't Google, you know, they're not in the top 10, they're not in the top 20, they're not even in the top 50. Do you find that there's one consistent aspect of the experience that they're missing that if they would fix this one or perhaps two things, their index would skyrocket? You know, it's fascinating. In a world that's so driven by technology and enablement, how good old-fashioned human warm interaction can be a, a positive contributor to an enhanced customer experience. Um, and, and really what I mean by that is, of course, whatever experience you have does need to be enhanced by technology as a way of kind of shorthanding the experience that you're looking for. But when it's augmented with a very warm, positive human interaction, I mean, for all its frailties, as an example, we've Apple has its challenges. But the one thing you can't doubt is when you walk into an Apple store, it's typically a world-class experience. Oh, yes. You're going in and you're deriving advice and information and guidance and counsel that you couldn't figure out for yourself online beyond the, how do I do this with my new device or what other things can I purchase to enhance the experience? You know, there's, there's definitely an element of, of human interaction that is, is irreplaceable. Um, so I think across companies who who want to do really well, um, let's not fall into the trap of saying technology is the only answer. It's certainly a big part of the answer, but a authentic, genuine, positive, helpful human interaction, um, whether that's through an online click to chat or an in person experience in store, in retail, or even via phone. Um, is certainly become a differentiator. It's always been a differentiator, but I think increasingly so, we're going to see the value of, of human intelligence augmenting artificial intelligence, which is really interesting as a dynamic do of, of how do you win as part of a u- unique customer service experience. Nice. And can we spend a little bit of time on that, the relationship between human intelligence and artificial intelligence and the two working in tandem, rather than the notion that AI is simply going to replace the human to human interaction between a customer and their brand that they're talking to, the relationship, sort of the the cooperative relationship between human intelligence and AI to deliver that experience. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the beauty of those two drivers of, of customer experience as a byproduct of enhanced reputation are the very fact that they're actually highly complementary. Um, to have a solely self-managed technology-driven, artificially in, intelligence-inspired uh, experience is one thing because in a way you're cheating the system to kind of fast track to get into the stuff you want. But the humanization is the ability to now interpret that in, in new and unique ways um, in enriching the experience in imparting knowledge, uh, especially in terms of the, the how to usability for, for the first time um, to have that access to, a, a live human interaction is, is only going to augment and enhance that experience. And there are some uh, retail stores. An example is, is Lowe's in, in the US where they are looking at uh, augmented reality um, customer associates. In other words, rather than find the 
the guy in the red apron who's too busy to help you in that very second actually speak to a uh, augmented reality machine that looks like a human, might act like a human, but just doesn't static move, um, who's able to answer those questions. So it's almost like a, a Siri-like interaction that's humanly inspired but augmented by technology. That's one example um, of, of how to do that. But of course, the more expert you become in your category, the greater the need there is for, for a human interaction. Um, so I think the, the magic combination is, is, is both. Um, it's neither one with the exception of the other, but when the two are operating uh, in unison, that's, I believe, what would create an unbeatable world-class customer experience. Fascinating. Thank you very much. And I'd love to talk a little bit about the Reputation Institute, if we could. Sure. When organizations come to you, what are some of the key questions? They might come to you with regards to answering, okay, what is my overall reputation? And what are the factors that are impacting that reputation? Is that a typical starting point for, um, for a company that picks up the phone and contacts you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, usually the the conversation goes something like this. It's the okay, so 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 what is my reputation? Um, and then more importantly, why? Uh, right. Why? And then uh, how do I make it better? It's and, like, wait, what? That's what people know. are saying about me. Are, are they typically surprised when they uh, when they learn their yeah. reputation, or does that does the data that you ultimately present to them typically ring true? It's. There's often an element of surprise. Um, the reason being is the perception doesn't always align with the reality. In fact, often than not, the reality is um, uh, under some form of positive internal halo, a belief system that uh, things are great. And then when asked the same questions amongst the stakeholders that matter, um, those uh, perceptions of grandeur uh, tend to be diluted by the reality of, of how consumers and the members of the general public perceive you. So it can be sobering, but interestingly, here's what we found in the past 12 to 18 months. We've seen a huge decline in trust of many companies, um, and it's driven by macro socioeconomic variables. You think about an era of fake news, an era of inauthentic leadership, an area where you actually have to second check everything and not take anything on face value anymore has resulted in a significant decline in reputation across all companies we measure. What that basically says is you have to work harder than ever before to earn strength of reputation. You can't just message your way into a great reputation through slick and clever ad campaigns and marketing programs. And you can't just have a one-off good experience and, and, and live off that. You, you've got to be consistent in delivery. You've not only got to do the right thing and say the right thing. You have to basically act and behave in a way that's highly ethical and highly authentic. And it just keeps raising the bar for what it means to be a reputable company. So often than not, what we see is reputation is highly volatile and responsive to, to real-time stories, whether you have a product recall or whether you see a negative tweet from Donald Trump impacting your company or whether you see... Uh, macroeconomic uh, news or trade tariffs, all these things in real time are causing your reputation to go up and down just like the ticker price of, of a, a stock index. So actively managing your reputation 365 days a year is just now the cost of doing business. So 
I think the surprise amongst most of our clients is, is how often reputation changes unless you choose to proactively manage it. And, and I think there are lessons learned in that endeavor. I find that really fascinating, the relationship between the macroeconomic factors that are fully outside of an, outside of an organization's control and how our general perception of messaging and facts, in quotes, that come to us impact negatively everybody's reputation by association. They impact you negatively. Interestingly, the converse is true. We've just had an example of a recent, uh, let's just call them large market leader financial services company in North America. The absence of a negative caused their reputation to go up. <laughs> while, 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 while the competition was being spanked uh, for for uh, ethical misdemeanors, so you know it's interest, interesting thing about reputation. It's always relative to the category, to the macroeconomic environment, to your competition, um, and it's it really sticks when it's positively reinforced by other people you trust. You could let's say you read a news article about company X. And that's positively reaffirmed by somebody you work with or somebody you trust or an expert or a friend and a member of the family. That reputation now not only rings true, but sticks over the test of time because it has a third party validation, uh, an advocate, an endorser, if you will. Um, when it doesn't stick, it's because it's all rhetoric. It's uh, through slick marketing. It's through clever advertising. It's through Super Bowl commercials that... You know, maybe they make you chuckle for a few minutes, but in the annuals of time, you very quickly forget the inauthenticity of all that, and you look to fall back on the real experiences that really matter, which is the direct touch of a very positive customer interaction. And, and at the end of the day, that's more likely to drive reputation than merely the rhetoric. Companies come to you, they develop an understanding of their reputation, whatever that's going to be. Are you able to then point them in the direction of what steps to take either number one, you know, crowing about their excellent reputation, or number two, taking steps to change that reputation? Is that something that you can help companies with as well? Absolutely. You know, we conduct a driver analysis, which is a fancy way of saying, you know, we, we identify the statistical stuff that matters of, of the things that define reputation. There are essentially seven primary dimensions and 23 core attributes that define any one of the number of the 7,000 companies we measure. And we can help company understand which of those things matter the most. What, what are the things you need to do? And more specifically, what are the things you need to say? And finding the right balance is ultimately how you enhance your reputation. And you can think about this two ways. Uh, in one regard, reputation is an economic multiplier. Companies that have it do disproportionately better. They uh, enjoy a high valuation on the stock markets. They sell more products. They have more low customers. They attract the best talent. Um, they attract more investment. Uh, conversely, uh, you know, reputation is an insurance policy, meaning when times are tough, you can trade off your reputation because you have that emotional equity that allows you to essentially navigate a potential crisis. And, and you either have it or you don't. And, and so therefore, you know, reputation works on the acceleration of the upside, but also it works to the bottom end of minimizing the downside whenever you are faced with some kind of crisis management type situation. Got it. And is there one thing 
thinking of my listeners right now, they're thinking, what's the one thing that I would probably want to get in front of to help safeguard my reputation today? Wow, that that literally is a trillion dollar question. <laughs> well, let, let, let me take let me take a crack at it all the same. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess think about it this way: in today's age, if there was one thing that really mattered, um, it would be what I would call benefit of the doubt, um, and it's really a measure of trust in a way. Um, there's a strong correlation between the most reputable companies in the world and a strong link to benefit the doubt. Why is that important? Well, if you can go to bed at night and not having to worry about the ethics of the company you do business with or question their uh, moral integrity on how they choose to make money or how they go about managing the business affairs, the chances are that company is going to be left alone. It has license to operate as far as the regulators and policymakers are concerned. And, And the truth be told, it becomes a... a a sort of beacon of trust or a foundation uh, point for consumers to want to do business with that company and and business-to-business customers to want to do business with that company. So in today's age where there's a significant decline in trust in the world, period, politically, economically, and even socially, um, if you have the benefit of the doubt, you've got that foundation of reassurance that enables you to win. why is that important? It has significant messaging implications. Maybe this is a list of an era where you make people brouhaha laugh out loud based on what your company has to offer and maybe have them head nod with a sense of reassurance and, and, and a foundation of trust that helps you understand that they have integrity, they have a high sense of moral purpose, uh, and they're a company that really stands for trying to do the right thing. So. This isn't going to be the answer for perpetuity, but I'd say based on the here and now and the acute uh, market trends from around the world, if you can win on benefit of the doubt, if you can win on the metric of trust relative to your competition, and you can engender the license to operate to manage your business unfettered, you can have significant upsides in reputation. Well, Stephen Hahn Griffiths, I can't think of a better spot to end our conversation because if I had a follow-up question, we'd be here for the next three hours, I'm sure. So I do (laughs) want to absolutely thank you for your time today, sharing your insights and the insights of the Reputation Institute. I really, really appreciate your time today on behalf of all of our listeners. Well, thank you, Pat. Uh, appreciate the time. Enjoy being on the show. Uh, greetings to all your listeners. And of course, if anyone would like to know more about our company, come find us at reputationinstitute.com. I will absolutely put all of your contact information in the show notes, including your Twitter handle, where you and I have actually exchanged some messages over Twitter. And thank you again for joining us. It's been a wonderful conversation. Fantastic. Thank you. So much to consider from that conversation with Stephen Hahn Griffiths from the Reputation Institute. Check out our show notes for important links to their website, which I totally recommend you visit. Tons of really interesting reading about brands and CEO reputation. What's your big takeaway from today's conversation? For me, I think it was the ability to directly put a dollar value on good customer experience. We've all known intuitively that it pays off, while Stephen gave us an insight into how valuable great customer experience truly is. Thank you again for listening. I'm so grateful to all of you for sharing this podcast. We're approaching 100,000 downloads, which is truly humbling. 
keep sharing and recommending, and I'll let you know when our downloads reach a million. (laughs) You probably won't even have to download the podcast. You'll just hear me shouting directly from Toronto. So I'll leave you with this question. What can you do today to help deliver a great experience to your customers? I'm Pat Perdue. See you next time.